Good morning, family. How are we doing? All right. It is a uh, great Sunday to be together. We're in the middle of this book called 2 Timothy. And let me pray for us because we are going to have a Bible study today. It is a great section. I think it's my favorite section in 2 Timothy. (laughs) So good. Father, thank you for your word, how it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and I pray it does. It would just be the spade that dives into the soil of our heart, loosens it, and plants the seed of truth that just blossoms into a life of fruitfulness for you. We pray that this morning that the spirit would enter into the hearts of those that are nominal believers and are confused about who you are. They would see your goodness and they would know you and it would change them the way it has changed me. Oh, Father, thank you for amazing grace. May that grace which let us see open our eyes further that we might love and serve you. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this amazing body and the way they love one another and the way they love this city and the way that they want to be faithful disciples who suffer so that others may believe and experience the eternal glory that you have for them. Sharpen us, teach us, grow us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may not know, um, I was born in a little town called Reading, Pennsylvania. When you play Monopoly, the very first railroad is not the Reading Railroad. I will rebuke you if you say that. It is the Reading Railroad. And that's where I was born. I lived there for about five years. Both my family all the way back are Berks County Dutch. My dad left uh, the steel business. He's the first Wagner or Reber to not really work in a steel factory. Um, drug us out to St. Louis, wanted a different life for his immediate family. And so off we went and uh, ended up in St. Louis where he was in the steel business for a little bit. And then he left that and went on to hospital administration and other things. That's all ancillary information. But what is not ancillary is that I was not raised to study Texas history. I'm one of those folks that wasn't born in Texas but moved here as fast as I could. I can remember um, not knowing much about what happened down here. And I can remember the first time I was told to remember the Alamo. Now, the um, odd thing about that is they're like, all right, the Alamo. I was certain. I married a woman from San Antonio. And so... When I went down there to spend some time with her, I said, let's go to this Alamo. And I, I'm, this is embarrassing. I might have been deep into my 20s before I went to the Alamo and I showed up there and I realized we lost the Alamo. <laughs> and how disappointed I was. And I'm like, what? We, why are we remembering, like I went to Mizzou. I remember when I was there, or shortly after, we lost 73 to nothing to Texas A&M in football. <laughs> I also remember when Texas A&M lost, that, all right? Uh, but let me just say this, I could, I could go on, all right? Enjoy your overpriced victory right now with Jimbo. Let me... Uh, we didn't walk around and go, remember the time we got beat 73 to nothing? We just didn't do it. And I thought, what kind of state is this that remembers the Alamo? And then I walked through uh, that little um, mission and heard the story 
Uh, my best friend, when I grew up, uh, the reason I actually heard about the Alamo the first was uh, a gentleman by the last name of Travis, Eddie Travis, whose great, 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 great grandfather was William Travis. And I remember how proud they were of that. And I didn't really understand why until I got down and understood the story. The reason we remember the Alamo is not because we won, but because the story wasn't over. The Alamo, to refer back to last week, was a pirate victory. Santa Ana and his thousands of troops that were constantly being reinforced seized. In fact, uh, March 6th, about uh, just what, two weeks ago, was the 185th anniversary of that shellacking and that awful uh, slaughter that ensued because certain guys um, survived the first siege, the second siege or attack, and then the third wave got them all. And the ones that were alive, even though some of Santa Ana's officers said, don't kill them, they were merciless. Santa Ana actually played a song when they were attacking that means beheading. And he was so angry with the way those 185 to 200 men held them off that when he got in there, he just had bloodlust and he wiped them out. And a little bit later did the same thing at Goliad. And then Sam Houston at the Battle of San Jacinto told his boys, you remember the Alamo. Those men gave their lives so that uh, the, the spring rains could come and flood the Colorado so he couldn't cross. You remember the Alamo, that those guys gave their sacred honor and lives. It's interesting, did you know this? That about 75% of the folks that were fighting for Texas independence at that time were from the broader United States of America. Only about 25% of the Texans were involved in that militia. What happened with the Alamo is Texans realized this is a ruthless people that are coming to wipe us all out. And then it flipped and about 75% of the army from there on out were Texans. And about 25% were the Davy Crockett's of the world. And so the reason we remember the Alamo is because the story flipped there. There was something that happened in that pirate victory that made the Texans go, we are gonna steal our spirit and we are going to fight for the freedoms that we want. So remember the Alamo. You're going to find a phrase in our study today that says, remember Jesus Christ. And in a couple of weeks, we're about to come in here and celebrate Good Friday. And when we do, and we say, remember the cross of Jesus Christ, you're like, man, Friday was a tough day if you were a follower of Jesus. But the reason you remember Christ and his broken body is because his broken body wasn't the end of the story. That was a pirate victory by Satan. There was a resurrection Sunday. There's a famous message given by a guy named Tony Campola saying, uh, it's Friday, baby, but hang on because Sunday's a coming. And that is a pretty good summary of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Remember what I do in my little brain to... Um, put 2 Timothy in a catalog of truth. Um, I, I, I think of 2 Timothy this way. Wait a second, Timidity. We're not going to lose heart at the Alamo. We're going to remember the Alamo. Wait a second, Timidity. We're not going to lose heart at crosses and maritime jail cells and sufferings and persecution and beatings and scoffing because there is a resurrection. And so you remember 
those that have given their life for the freedom of being delivered, not from some said cruel leader, Santa Anna, but from Satan and the prison of sin and death itself. You remember the cross and you remember the resurrection. Let's take a look. Uh, can, I give, can I just give you one quote, right, uh, before I, I leave the Alamo? Because this is just too good. Remember I told you about Spartan mothers and then I had some fun talking about um, our own Texan up there who landed a plane on the Hudson. Well, let me just tell you, Texan has some Spartan mamas. This was Sam Houston's mother, wrote a little note to him. Uh, Elizabeth Houston, she said this. Remember, uh, Spartan moms said, uh, here's your shield, son. Come back on it or with it. Listen to what Sam Houston's mom, she apparently read some Spartan Plutarch truth. My son, take this musket and never disgrace it, for remember, I'd rather all my sons should fill one honorable grave than that one of them should turn his back to save his life. Go and remember too, that while the door of my cottage is open to brave men, it is eternally shut towards cowards. Oh, come on, mama, that's good, right? <laughs> Kiss him on the cheek, hand him his mucket, musket, pat him on the back and say, go die at the Alamo. And he wasn't there. And that's why he could be at the Battle of San Jacinto. That's why when you drive up I-45, you see a tall statue of a man who should have even a taller statue of mama. All right? So, way to go, Elizabeth. All right? I'm going to Elizabeth you today. Are you ready? <laughs> this cottage is always open to courageous Christians. And uh, if you are not, I hope that I can tell you enough stories that are true, that you are motivated to live for him, our king. So much better. You think Texas independence is good? Let me tell you about Christian independence and freedom when you learn to follow the king. Let's read some Bible. Are you ready? Let's start uh, in verse 7. I'm going to read one verse. I mentioned it briefly last week. I'm going to spend some time here, and then I'll read you where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Verse 7. It's the summary of 1 through 6. It's the key to you being who God wants you to be in general. Consider some of your Bibles, if you've got the ESV, it might say, think over. Some of you, your Bible might say, think about. Some it might say, reflect on. Be diligent. Listen, consider what I say. The idea here is don't just blow through your Bible. We're going to slow down and we're going to study this book. The goal is not to get through the Bible. The, Bi the goal is to get the Bible through you. We are not here to take spiritual spit baths in Philippians or read verses pulled out of context in Instagram and Twitter. We are here to rightly divide the word of truth and to study it and to reflect on it. Do you remember how, um, how you know, we, are, um, we were individuals that, that last week we studied um, things that are familiar to us all, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, and we just spent some time, and I didn't even do the athlete and the farmer justice because we got kind of uh, focused on the soldier. But I'm telling you, when you read things like that, you stop and you ask, what's the author's intent? Why is that there? What does he want me to learn? What's the message? And so what he wanted us to learn last week, here's what I'm going to say, let's just reflect on. 
We, we remember that discipline and self-denial are part and parcel with greatness. We remember that there's no such thing as amateur Christians. We remember that it's just the law, um, that the easy way is the attractive way, but that pleasure and indulgences kill champions. And so Paul was telling Timothy, God was telling us, listen, you need to be about it. And Paul's saying, stop, reflect, consider, think upon. Psalm chapter one, verse two. How blessed is the man who blows through his Bible reading program and tells everybody he read some scripture today. No. How blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. When I eat bluebell ice cream, I don't get a bowl and purpose to whip through it. I put my spoon in there, I put it in my mouth, and I let it sit, and I delight in it. And my goal is not to finish it. My goal is to let that sweet sugar cream bless me. All right? And that should be your goal. When you open up God's word, you just want to be somebody that just says, consider it. What am I going to do with this truth? What's God saying? Why is it there? Now watch this, because this is where I'm going to spend some time with you. Consider it, um, and then God will. This is a promise. God will give you understanding in everything. And so there is right here this tension which runs all through your Bible. There is human responsibility, and then there is divine enablement. Our job is to do the considering, and it's the Spirit of God that does the enlightening. And that is why when you work to study your Bible, you work. And it is also why while you labor to build the house, you know you labor in vain unless you build it. And so you pray, and you say, God, will you show me what it is that you have this here for? Will you teach me why you preserve this? Is there a problem here to understand? A riddle to solve? Is there a truth that your spirit wants to illumine in my heart? This book of the law, Joshua 1.8, it says, shall not depart from your mouth so that you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then it says um, that you should meditate on this book, right? Day and night, that's the call. Now watch this. The second part, though, is that he will give you understanding in, in all these things. Um, you can go to uh, 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, look at this verse. As for you, John's writing to believers, the anointing which you received from him, from God, abides in you. This is the Holy Spirit is in you. He is the author. Can you imagine reading um, the Bear by Faulkner, by uh, reading uh, Moby Dick. Uh, and can you imagine reading, uh, oh gosh, what's your favorite book? Where the Red Fern Grows by William Raw Wilson Rawls. Oh man, I did a book report on that, fourth through ninth grade. <laughs> How about if I read that this year? You don't know my sixth grade teacher, do you? Um, to sit there and to ask him, Okay, what did you mean by that? Why is that illusion there? And having the author explain it to you. 
When you sit down with the word of God, if the spirit of God is in you, you can say, God, show me what is here. Teach me what you want me to know. 1 John 2.27, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, just as he has taught you, you abide in him. Now this doesn't say that you go alone in your room and you're going to be the first person in the history of the church to to, um, make a verse mean something it doesn't mean. What he's saying here, Christian, you don't need philosophers. You don't need some dude under some tree in upstate New York to hear from some supposed angel. You've got the word of God and the spirit of God in you. And every single thing you need is right here. And so, but you don't read in isolation. You sit down with other Christians and go, what, what, what do we think this means? Why do we think it means that? What's the context? And we go to work. I have some people who sometimes come up to me and they'll say, Todd, man, I want to know my Bible like you know your Bible. What should I do? And I mean, as delicately as I can, I sometimes look at them and I go, are you reading it? I mean, are you reading it? Are you meditate on it? I can remember in ninth grade English lit, I said something very similar to Wendy Wyan. When we were given a test on Wuthering Heights by Emily Brune, and I had no clue any of the questions. And I was so glad I sat next to Wendy Wyan. She helped me survive. But I said to Wendy Wyan, Wendy, I'd love to know Wuthering Heights like you. And she rightly looked at me and said, are you reading it? (laughs) Nope, I'm just delighting that WA is next to WE. So teach me Wuthering Heights. (laughs) What a terrible, now listen, you may not want to read Wuthering Heights. I didn't as a ninth grader. But here's the problem. Some of you guys treat the Bible like I treated English lit in ninth grade. You want somebody else's spark notes. You want somebody else to do the reading. And somebody else gets the delight of that insightful book. Don't make that mistake. You do the work. And you meditate on it day and night. And you don't just tear through your Bible reading plan. You pray that God lets it tear through you. I could spend the entire time on this verse. But I would be in trouble. So um, let me leave it there. Ah, No, one thing I want to say. Janet Pope, member of our church. Janet said something similar. I, I remember Janet wrote a great book about scripture memorization. Janet has memorized probably close to 20 books of the Bible right now. Did you hear what I said? She has memorized 20 books of the Bible. And I mean memorized. I'm not talking about Philemon and 1 John. I'm talking about Romans and Hosea and Revelation. And uh, she is a real truth real quick on how to memorize scripture that I did with Janet. Go watch it. And this quote's not in there, but it's in Janet's book. And Janet talks about how she was with a group of women and uh, she was talking about how to study your Bible. And some gal said this to her. See if this doesn't harken back the next week when I talk about not being an amateur athlete and being the hardworking farmer and being an active soldier. This is from her book. One year at one of these seminars, on our final night, one of the women said to me, I wish I had your discipline. Having heard that comment so many times, I usually shrug my shoulders, shake my head, and sigh at their predicament. This time, out of love and boldness, I took a different approach. I said, what if I said to you, you have so much discipline. 
It's just so incredible how you find time every single day to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You hardly ever miss. You are so disciplined. The women would have then said back to me, it's because I'm hungry. And so she said, so I turned to her and I said, your problem is not a lack of discipline. Your problem is you're not hungry. You ain't hungry, Rock. Remember that? Did y'all watch the movie? There it is. All comes together. All right, let's read verse 8 through 13. I pray you're hungry. God, make us hungry. The, 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 the sated man loathes honey, but to a famished man, anything is sweet, the proverb says. Oh, man. I, do you know how desperate you are, or are you happy with your understanding? You know why you don't read your Bible? Because you're arrogant, cocky, and you don't think you need the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And that's not an editorial you. That is an umbrella you over us, including the guy on the stage. All right. Remember the Alamo. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason... I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. And then he's going to say this is a trustworthy statement. That shows up a number of different times. Whenever there is a phrase that is used around here, like uh, Paul might say, it is a trustworthy statement. Full devotion is normal for a believer. It's a trustworthy statement. The Bible is our authority, conscience, and guide, and you should stand firm where it is firm and flexible where it is flexible. Right? When there's ever phrases that a community uses a lot, you want to be somebody that says, it's a trustworthy statement. One of the things I just looked out caught my son's eye. It's a trustworthy statement. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Right? In other words, this proverb is true. This principle you can bet your life on. And so he's about to give you an early church, whether it was a hymn or whether it was just a phrase that was um, repeated often within the early church, it goes like this. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Okay, Bible study. Here we go. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Now watch this, risen from the dead, um, descendant of David. What he's doing right there, and when you read this, what are we doing? we got to consider, we got to stop, reflect, think upon. we got to be diligent. The, the scriptures tell us again and again in Proverbs 2. Let me just give you this idea right here, because when Paul says remember, he wants you to do what he just told you to do in verse 7. Listen to Proverbs 2. This is, this is what you do when you read your Bible. This is how you get something out of it. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, you don't listen to your Bible being read to yourself like you listen to Charlie Brown's teacher. You go, I want to stop. What would you say? What was that word? I don't know what that word means. 
Incline your heart to understanding. For if, if you cry for discernment, if implied, you lift your voice, God, show me, give me understanding. If you seek for her as silver, guys, you know how hard it is to make a buck? You know how you mine for silver? Are you seeking the, the, the word of God like that? If you search for her as for hidden treasures. That's why, well, you've got to stop when it says, remember Jesus, risen from the dead, descendant of David. Who was David? Why would he tell me uh, to reflect on the fact that he was risen and that he was born of a woman? What's the point? If you stop like we're about to, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. Then. Not if you just blow through it. Ask yourself, why, when he says, remember Jesus, does he say, let me just start with you, timidity. He was risen. Good Friday isn't everything. He is divine. And he's just like you, been tempted like you, born of a woman, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was... Uh, Although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being found in appearance as a man, and being made in the likeness of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But that ain't all, Timothy. Because the cross wasn't cast upon him, he picked it up. Why? Because of his love for you. And he wants to redeem you. And therefore, God gave him the name above all names because he is the faithful son. He gave you salvation through him. And because he is the perfect man, because he's the God man, he has been exalted. And you should love him and you should follow him and you should remember him. His love for you should constrain you, he wrote to the Corinthians. And you should remember that you are his and you become a suffering servant just like him. And don't you dare coast through life looking for comfort and ease with your little fire insurance. Because if you are faithless, if you deny him, he will deny you. So you, Timothy, let's go. Here's your musket. The cottage of grace always produces people of courage. And if you don't have that spirit, if you have the spirit of timidity, it's because you have an unholy spirit. And so he's telling us to remember Christ risen from the dead. Never forget, we forget what Christ has done. It is why, and gang, let me just take you a second. Um, do you know, um, there's a little flower uh, Myosotis, I think, is its uh, Greek name, which means mouse ear. Anybody here a florist? Anybody know what the uh, colloquial name for uh, a, a mouse-eared flower is? It's wild. It grows by brooks and streams. It's called a forget-me-not. And it's got a sweet little smell. And Christ gave us an everlasting forget-me-not. It's called communion. And he told us that every time we break bread, we are to remember the love of Christ. Is there anything that smells better than fresh bread? When my wife and I got married, we returned all your wire bread baskets and all your nonsense gifts that we were never going to use. 
and, um, and we returned them and we got enough money that we had like $300 left. And we go, what are we gonna do? And I begged and pleaded to buy a bread maker <laughs> with, an, with an automatic timer so that every morning I could wake up to a loaf of fresh bread and the smell would just fill the house. Those of you guys that uh, have lived in Texas for a short period of time, I mourned the day that SMU bought that property south of Mockingbird and got rid of Mrs. Baird's Bakery. Texas, Dallas was worth living in because Mrs. Baird's Bakery was there. (laughs) And if you were upwind of, of Mrs. Baird's, if you caught a south wind when you were down there, it was like life is good and the world is as it should be because over the city is the smell of fresh bread. That's what communion is, right? Don't take it with a stale saltine or pureed, uh, you know, when we take communion, it's kind of, you almost have to go like this and put your finger on a cracker just to get one out like that, you know? And... Um, and, and I, I just, or we give you those little communicables. You know what I mean? Like, where they just like this. It's all like a Lunchable. It's all right there. Here's the wafer. You know, take that off. And I understand why we do it. We have to do it just because it's just, you know, we can't make fresh bread. But how great would it be if every Sunday you came to church and it smelled like Mrs. Baird's? By the way, you know what it's supposed to? By the way you greet and love one another and the aroma of Christ should be on you. And people should walk on this place and they should go, man, there's something different here. There's a love, there's a warmth, there's a grace, there's a kindness, and it is a fresh aroma. It's not what I find in the world. Something sweet here. But when you take, when you get good, fresh bread, and I know, um, you know, typically the reason that we use matzah bread is because it's unleavened and so it does harken back to the original time that Christ broke the bread. Uh, at the Passover Seder. But what Jesus said is, I want you to remember me. Uh, There is, and I'm going to get to it, I pray, in just a few minutes, uh, a time when Jesus was anticipating that he was going to give them communion, give them this forget-me-not, this sweet little aroma that every time, and if you're in the ancient Middle East, you never had a meal without bread and wine, ever, ever. And so what I think Christ is telling you to do is not just go to a church and the first Sunday of the month has communion, or not even to a church that celebrates it uh, once a week, or not even a church that does it every day. He's telling you, Christian, every time you eat, you remember Jesus. And you remember that just like you're gonna die if something outside of you doesn't come into you to give you physical life, something died outside of you that gives you spiritual life, and he is the bread of life and his name is Jesus, and you stop and you thank him, and the better the meal is and the more uh, aromatic and pleasant it is, the more you should remember Jesus. And I think it's appropriate anytime you're with believers. I, I do Every time I'm having a meal with believers, I just go, let's remember Christ before I dive into that hop daddy cheeseburger. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of being flippant towards communion. I mean, I want to stop. And I go, first of all, before we eat this, are we okay? My, my family has eaten a lot of cold green beans because when we sat down to eat 
And we got ready to pray. We didn't just go, God is great, God is good, and we thank you for our food by his hand. We just fed, give us Lord, dealer, bread, amen. And we did a little Christian duty, and then we dive in. We don't bless the food. God, thank you for the food and the hands that made it. All right, we're not blessing the kitchen. We're blessing God that is the bread of life. And he says, don't eat and drink in an unworthy manner. What's an unworthy manner? You say you know Jesus, and you're hardened towards your wife. You say you love Jesus as a Christian family, and there's no unity and reconciliation. And so there is many times. You want to have a good marriage, you commune together. That's why couples that pray together, stay together, you can't have real prayer with one another when you're not living a spiritual life and you gotta reconcile every single day before you just hold that sweet person's hand and say, let's do something spiritual. A lot of times, you know, they're gonna look at you and go, why don't we do something spiritual and love each other the way the Bible says we should love each other and talk and commune and not just have a family devotional for five minutes and then go back to being pagans. So you're going to eat. And when you eat, you want to be somebody that just says, hey, are we ready to take this or are we going to dive in as a Christian family in an unworthy manner and say we remember Christ, but we don't love one another, which is the first thing he tells us is what marks us as his disciples. And so we repent. We have sat there and the green beans have gotten cold and the chicken needed to be microwaved because we were working it out. And that's why I'm about to celebrate my 30th anniversary. And that's why our family loves each other. It's not because we don't have conflict. It's because we, we, we pursue reconciliation, remembering Christ, who gave his life for us and forgave us. So let's forgive one another. Man. Uh, th- this is why, if you want an epitaph for Israel, right? If you want to sum up Israel's life, here might be a good way to do it. Um, Go read Psalm 78. Just put down in your Bible next to uh, remember Psalm 78. Because Psalm 78 is, is a psalm that just basically says this. Israel, though they saw all these things, they soon forgot. Do you know why we muster and then we lose our mission? Because we soon forget that Christ loved us and died for us. Watch this. Let me just show you something. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. By the way, when I read Psalm 78, I don't see Israel. I see me. I will preach my heart out. I will delight in God's word. And then what happens is I go home and I want to get lazy. I feel entitled. I just worked hard. I just poured myself out. I just need some space. Don't talk to me. I mean, that's, that's what runs over this flesh. Instead of, man, now I'm going to go to my real ministry and really begin to love and serve. Not preach, but practice. Um, Look at 1 Corinthians 10 with me. All right, just just watch this. I don't have time to do this all, but I would love to read 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. I'm not going to read all of it, but watch, watch the context of why we say Jesus Christ risen from the dead, born of David. Born, suffered, died, resurrected. Um, That's exactly, by the way, we're not going to turn there, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, that's what Paul says. I'm an apostle. I serve the descendant of David, Jesus Christ, who was risen from the grave and who with authority was declared to be the Son of God. Don't forget, he's been tested in every way as you have been, and he is king, and he is God. It's the gospel. 
1 Corinthians 10, 1, watch this. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. You read that, you go, what is he talking about? He's saying there was a physical manifestation of God every single day if you were an Israelite when they came out of Egypt. There was a pillar of cloud by day. There was a pillar of fire by night. It told them when to move and when to sit, where to go and how to get there. They all passed through the sea. Pharaoh's army was coming down upon them and God split the sea. These people saw the glory of God in works and in presence. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, just like you're baptized by faith into um, Jesus. They all ate the same spiritual food, which is what? Manna. They all drank the same spiritual drink, which is what? Rock, a water that came out of a rock in the desert. Paul makes an illusion that life-giving water, that rock of ages is Jesus. And he is the never-ending fountain of life that will supply you what you need. Nevertheless, verse five, they didn't remember. They didn't keep serving that God. And you're like, are you kidding me? Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased and they paid a price for it. They denied him. And so he denied the fact that he was gonna be their God and he left them vulnerable and alone. And that doesn't work out well for you. Now, just jump down to verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10. Watch this. Now, these things happen to them as an example. For you and me, they happen for our instruction, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Don't let Psalm 78 be our story. Remember Jesus, Timothy. Don't be like them. I told you what God just did in Jerusalem. He took on the form of flesh. God came and his body was broken. And he told you his body was gonna be broken because he laid it down because he loves you, Timothy, to pay for your descendant of Adam, sin. And he raised himself up from the grave because he's God and he will raise you if you follow him. So Timothy, do you think it was cool to be baptized into Moses? How about being baptized across the river Hades and set in glory by Jesus? That's what's happened. The river sticks in Hades. And so he's saying, carry on my wayward son. All right, that's the way my brain works. Here we go. Look at this, watch this. And so he says in verse 13, now therefore no temptation has overtaken you. Timothy, I know it's hard. Corinthians, I know it's hard. But what you're going through is common. This is not an unusual um, commissioning. This is not an unusual campaign. It's the way of the soldier. The gym isn't harder for you than it is for anybody else. The soil doesn't need to be spaded more in your life than it does anybody else. You do what you're supposed to do so you can get what you've got to get. And no temptation has overtaken you to love comfort and to be timid, but is common to man. But God has provided the way of escape. You want to know one of my favorite series we've ever done here? It's called The Way of Escape. It all is taught right out of this verse. It was four weeks on how to face temptation. Go back and get it. It's back there in the Watermark Archives, The Way of Escape. And you can endure it. Now watch this. Watch what he's going to do. That's why he jumps then to verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. And I'm going to show you. The reason I'm doing this, I'm showing you. Paul just keeps saying the same thing. In 2 Timothy, 
He says, for this reason, I endure all things, verse 10. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, be imitators of me, just like I'm an imitator of Christ. In 2 Timothy, remember Christ, join me. Same thing to the Corinthians. And guess what he does in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. This whole thing flows. He says, I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the Lord, in the night in which he was betrayed, when he was on earth as a descendant of David, and when he had given thanks, he, broke, when he, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, hey, listen, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Forget me not. Every time you eat, remember the fragrant aroma of my love for you. You see how it all works together? Right? It's why I don't pray when I have lunches with non-believers. I mean, if they want to, I will. I'll pray for them, but I don't feel any obligation to. It's weird and awkward. Because I'm not, you know, and I someday say, hey, man, why didn't you pray? Well, because when I pray, I'm not praying that God would bless the, 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 the cow that died for me. When I pray, I'm remembering Jesus. And in fact, if you sit here and remember Jesus with me and you don't know him and follow him, it says that it's going to get even worse for you. You do know the Jesus story, right? You're my friend. We've had this conversation. Christ died for you, and he's not going to make you um, love him. You get to choose. But you just need to know the more you keep meditating on the fact that he is the broken body for you that you reject, you are going to starve for eternity, right? That's why I don't pray, because I love you, and you got enough judgment now. That always turns into a great lunch conversation, all right? <laughs> But if you want to, I'd love for you to know what I know, and let's remember my Savior. Is he your Savior? Well, no. Okay, that's why we're not going to pray. How's your life going? Well, glad you asked. Things with a wife aren't so good. I know why. Because you don't know how to love her like Jesus. Have I told you how Jesus loves you? So easy. Paul says right here, um, look, remember Christ, risen from the dead, the son of David. I got to leave everything there. I wish I could teach for six hours. But he says this, watch this. He says, it's my gospel. And then he says, I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. That word criminal right there means somebody who deliberately does evil. Paul says, I'm not deliberately doing evil. I am suffering for people, giving my life for people. And I'm in jail for the word of God, which by the way, watch this. My gospel is the word of God. Paul equates the two. Make sure that your good news is God's good news. Don't make up your own, Joseph Smith. Don't make up your own, Charles Rutherford, Mary Baker Eddy. Don't make up your own, Todd Wagner. The gospel that you preach better be God's gospel, not some false gospel. I just mentioned Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists, I mean, that's what I did, all right? And so what I'm just saying right here, don't make up your own, Muhammad. Don't make your, up your own progressive liberal church. Don't make up your own watermark. There is no watermark way. It is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's what he's saying. And I'm, I'm gonna, he says, the word of God's not in prison. In other words, that word there means bound. Paul's saying, I might be under Rome's jurisdiction, but God's word is not, Timothy. So don't you worry about what they do to you in Ephesus. Just be faithful. Watch this. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. This is what is called the doctrine of election. 
okay? The Bible doesn't say that people who want to come to God can't because they weren't chosen. The Bible says none of us, none of you, I didn't want God. I could care less about God. I am happy and I am a sated man and I loathe honey of the gospel. And for whatever reason, God changed my taste buds and made me through some predetermined grace, love him. Some people hear this and it's just there in scripture. And if you're out there right now and you're saying, well, how do I know if I'm chosen? Answer, come. Just like in verse seven, consider and God will give you understanding. Human responsibility, divine enlightenment, the same thing is true with your salvation. You've got a responsibility, repent, come. And when you repent and come, you can thank God because it was his work. And you'll be the most humble people on the face of the earth. That's just the Bible. But watch this. Some people read that and they go, well, then God's going to find out who he's going to find. No, the Bible says you go suffer because my people are out there. I don't have time to take you to Acts 18, but if I did, you would find Paul back in Corinth and he is being rejected and he's being beaten. And God says, don't you leave Corinth because I have many people in this city. Isn't that interesting? In a Greek city where the gospel hasn't come yet, God said, my people are here, and I want you to reach them. How? Through your gospel, which is from my word, stay. That's, I don't know who you are out there, elect, but that's why I'm teaching. That's why I don't know who you are, sinner, chosen by God, but it's why I order my life, and that's why we at Watermark order our life to serve you, that you might see and smell the aroma of Christ and hear the preaching of his goodness and kindness, and your eyes would be open and you would come, and when you come, you should be the most humble person in the face of the earth. This is not an information problem. This is a problem of your will, and you just need to pray, God, change my will. Give me eyes to see. And when you pray that prayer, the Lord God will give you understanding, and you'll love this gospel. And we should suffer for that. And don't be surprised when a bunch of folks with Stockholm syndrome don't want to hear that the one who holds them captive, Satan, who says, do whatever you will, is not a good captive. When you try and, you know, I've got a friend who rescues people from the sex trade. And sometimes when you rescue those girls from their pimps, they fight you. But he does it anyway because he knows that you're just captive to do the will of somebody and, and, and they're deceived. That's our job, to get beaten, spit upon, and scratched. That they might have life. All right, this trustworthy statement. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. Here's what you need to see. There's, there's two little statements here, and they go together. Now, this is complex stuff. I want you to hear this, and this is tender. The very first one, if we died with him, we'll live with him. And what goes with that is um, if we endure, we will reign. And so, so the idea right here is you ought to circle the word died, for if we died with him, and circle the word endure and draw a line between them. They go together. He's saying the same thing twice. If we died with him, if we endure with him, is the idea. Same thing. We will live with him and then also draw a line with the word live and the word reign. So live and reign go together. He's saying the same thing twice. This is important to when you get to the very difficult next verse. Watch this. I don't think Paul's talking about here, uh, about Romans 6, baptism into faith. 
that if we died with Christ, we'll be walk in newness of life with him. What he's basically doing right here is I think he's saying that we, this is a call to martyrdom. It's a call to being an athlete and a soldier and a hardworking farmer. What Paul did in verses one through six is he illustrated through metaphor. What he's doing in verses eight through 12 is he is, um, he is testifying through the experience of men. In other words, this isn't just some big idea that you should be a hardworking farmer and a uh, competitive athlete and an active soldier. Jesus was that. I am that. You should be that. And all faithful Christians are that. Do you see that? So it's illustration through met- metaphor. It is experiences of men. Join us, Timothy. Find yourself here. And if you die to yourself and take up your cross and follow him, that's where life is. This week, well, I got to do this quick. I heard stories right here, good old watermark, this week where a young woman heard a testimony of somebody that used to be a John, used to um, take advantage of weak women and prostitutes. And she was here and she herself was a stripper. And when you're a stripper, you don't just strip, you eventually do lap dances. And eventually when you do lap dances, you go home. And this little girl heard about this John testifying to his sin and his death and the forgiveness that he found in Christ and how it turned his life around. And she came up and she said, I'm on the other side. Tell me about that Jesus again. This week at Watermark, we were talking about how God loves us and frees us all from our slavery to sin, and a young guy came up and said, listen, man, I was abused when I was a young man, and I can't stop having sex with men. Tell me again about the power of Jesus. What else do you want to do but see people freed up from that? This week at Watermark, I guarantee you there's some self-righteous individual who's going to hear about the gospel and that they need it, and God's going to open their eyes, and they're going to call themselves a sinner, and they're going to come to him. What else do you want to do? Those are three equal, miraculous stories of grace. You want life? Come on, man, join me in being a faithful witness of the gospel. That's this week. It happens all the time here. And I'm just walking with Jesus going, there he goes again. What else are we going to do this week? Now watch this. In the same way, you got to, in verse 12, uh, you, you see this come up, you're going to see the idea if we deny him, okay, and you've got to draw a line from that word deny to faithless because the synonym for if we deny him, if we are faithless, if we are not cross carriers, if we are not active soldiers, if we are not professional athletes, then watch this, he will also deny us. That, that isn't Paul's idea. That is Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. If you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before the Father. You're not mine. One of the marks of being a Christ follower is that we suffer. Tertullian said this, the man who is afraid to suffer can't belong to him who suffered. The man who is off mission cannot belong to this commander. And there is a very serious warning here. Don't sing his little songs and then live your own life. Don't salute him on Sunday and live your little life. Don't say what a wonderful cross it is and then go out there and build your kingdom. Now here's the good news. 
First of all, that's why we remember Christ. But here's the good news. Watch this. Remember I told you to draw a line from if we deny him, if we're faithless, he'll deny us because he remains faithful. The idea here is we, we, we deny him, he'll deny us. We are faithless. He is not faithless. Meaning when Christ says, if you don't take my provision, and this is where I was going to take you to John 6, but I don't have time. You go read John 6. And in John 6, when you get to verse 66, it's right where Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are like, that is weird. And Jesus explains it. And it says that some went away and no longer followed him. And he says he wasn't surprised because he knew who were his from the beginning. And people that are his from the beginning finish the race. And they take up their cross and they follow him. And he is faithful. He's not going to mock himself. He's not going to say that full devotion is normal for a believer and then let a bunch of just weak said professors get into heaven. Because he is faithful to himself. And he will begin uh, the work of grace and he will complete the work of grace. And if you don't see the work of grace in you, it ought to concern you. Now, Christian, here's some good news. He doesn't say you're going to be the perfect active soldier, the perfect professional athlete, or the perfect farmer. And so even when we are faithless, here's the tag, he is faithful. Peter, Christian or not, say yes. Peter, deny Jesus, say yes. So why does that work? Here's how it works. Peter wept and mourned and cried out to God for forgiveness, and he knew he was off mission. And he got back on mission. And he picked up his cross. And when it came time to die as a martyr, he said, don't you put me on a cross that way. That's how my Savior died. Turn that sucker upside down and you nail my feet to the top. So you're going to mess up this week? You messed up last week? Do what Peter did. Repent, weep, mourn, confess, get back in a band of soldiers and say, let's go. Amen? Amen. Let's worship our King. Father, I thank you that even when we're not, you're faithful. But let us not be deluded with our little songs. Let us follow our Savior. Would you open the eyes of non-believers? Would you let them hear today of the goodness of your work and the beauty of your cross? And may somebody out there who is chosen see your love and run to you in this moment. And may those of us who know you Listen to the description of our competent, caring commander who has already been crowned and let us live for him so that we will share in that life and crown. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you ought to be ready to sing. Let's go.